Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know what I love about this? You could never tell they were rich. It's all so classy and understated. I'll make it up to you later. Make it up to me now. Let's find a room. They must have a few. You're so bad. This is what rich, entitled people do when threatened. They conceal the ugly truths to protect themselves. The community is in shock tonight over the gruesome discovery of a fourth-grade mother found bludgeoned to death. Hello, and welcome back to Still Watching The Undoing. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us for the first time, what we do on Still Watching is Richard and I pick one show, and we are only currently watching one show now Mm -hmm. uh, that we are sort of watching obsessively, breaking down week by week. We are currently, uh, you know, in the midst of the soapy bubble murder mystery that is The Undoing uh, for HBO. We will be discussing episode three, Do No Harm. Uh, we will only be discussing plot points up through episode three because uh, I don't believe Richard has seen beyond it and I am under a vow of silence. So there we go. Uh, you will not be spoiled in any future developments, just episode three stuff. Um, if you ever want to talk to us about the undoing or maybe anything else, you can always email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, we do have, we were getting these like lengthy tome emails about the last show we were doing and this one, not so much, which is okay. It's not the end of the world, but we did get another, um, email from the same person who wrote in about, um, Jonathan's toothbrush last week. Uh, so this email comes from, uh, Rankin who made, who made sure to sign it, not a dentist. So to like, you know, make sure that we knew, uh, the last email was not coming from a dentist. Anyway, Rankin this week said, Donald Sutherland's character would not ask his maid to wear a cartoonish vintage maid's uniform. For Christmas, he would give her $1,300, a $1,300 cashmere sweater sets in soft pink or mint green and $700 khaki capris. Then casually mentioned they would be great for her when she's running errands or whatever. 
So um, that is the assessment of what Donald Sutherland's uh, maid might wear in the undoing. Uh, what do you think, Richard? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I wish that I had more to offer this, but I'm currently wearing um, an old... A, a maid's sorry, uniform. What? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm currently wearing an old Hanes t-shirt and some old old Navy slacks, or, or sweatpants, rather, that I've been wearing for the past few days. We're recording this as the election is still sort of being decided, so... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> I don't know if my fashion, uh, take is really, uh, going to be worth anything. Um, but yeah, so Donald, Donald Sutherland's character is Franklin Reinhardt. Uh, what would Franklin Reinhardt's maid wear? Um, I would love to hear what you guys, uh, think about that. You can email us stillwashingpod at gmail.com. I feel like the only, like, fancy, uh high society maid i know of is was it dorota on um gossip girl yeah yeah and Uh, and blair made her wear the (laughs) (laughs) so i I, I guess it is true that like when growing up um i had a couple friends when i was a kid who were from like pretty wealthy families um and they both they didn't have like live in um, like house staff, but they did have um, live-in nannies, which I, you know, is a different role and yeah. maybe comes with a different sort of dress code. Um, not that there should be a dress code. I mean, come on, but, um, but yeah, they were always in like very like, you know, inoffensive kind of sweater set sort of, you know, jeans kind of look. Um, but you know, I, I, I can't really speak to someone on the wealth level of Donald Sutherland's character <laughs> because I don't know any of those people. Um, there was a lot of Donald Sutherland's character in this episode, but that is not who we will be speaking to this week on the podcast. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, still watching me, like to try to talk to folks who are involved in the show also on this podcast. Richard, I want to ask you a favor. Mm. Uh, can you ask, um, Edgar Ramirez if he would, uh, chat with me at the end of the episode? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Are you free? To... Oh, you already did it. Oh, oh okay. that's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, he has that effect. He's he glamours people kind of in a way. And then they forget because it's just such a kind of oh, you're 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 basically your your emotional receptor shut down because it's too expansive an experience. Um so don't worry about it. He's used to it. Okay, so Richard Lawson's um uh, live-in partner Edgar Ramirez will be chatting with me at the end of this episode. Um because I felt like the, I feel like this is a good one for the, for the Edgar uh interview because we got a couple like good conversations uh with his character how is his character landing with you like what do you think of this guy and and his methods and his uh and his relationship with grace well i mean first off like you know we are uh, you and i both uh very much on board with a deep and serious reconsideration of the way the police are portrayed in film and television uh given that it is often uh really not representative of how police operate in the real world although the way they would operate toward a wealthy white woman, certainly this might be closer to that truth. Um, but uh, I do like in any investigation story where when the investigator is not the protagonist, it's gradually meted out in interesting reveals that they know way more than they did when they first, you know, did the first interview or whatever. It's like, right. oh, like, like Ramirez, is, like he was all over this from the get. 
you know, and is just kind of waiting to see what she does. And, um, you know, so I always think that's kind of fun. I think about like the way that they sort of invert that in, um, not invert, but kind of tweak it in Gone Girl with um, Kim Dickens' character and Patrick Fugit's character, but especially her character where uh, she also kind of acts like she knows more and then lets him actually tell her things. Um, whereas this is kind of like uh, he does know things and is just kind of waiting to see how involved she might be, which I think is fun. I forgot that Kim Dickens and Patrick Fugit were the detectives in Gone Girl. Oh, yeah. And, that, and then I... And then I just remembered how much I enjoyed them in that movie, um, as you were describing it. Maybe I'll watch Gone Girl. What a weird, fun capper to this weird week that might be. Yeah, um, and then they form yeah. the the the, the investigative, co- investigative coalition with Tyler Perry playing the lawyer, who's also excellent in that movie. <laughs> Tyler Perry, um, I remember Tyler Perry being yeah. act like fabulous in that movie, actually. So that's fun. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan. So Detective Joe Mendoza, uh, are his methods a little sketchy? Probably. Um, I feel like they're just like interrogating children and like tracking down old men in museums and stuff like that. And I don't know, like if the if the cops are allowed to do that. Um, well, I guess I guess that's sort of the point that uh, Franklin Donald Sutherland's character was ma- making when he was like, <laughs> "Get out of my public museum and get a warrant." Um, so. I, yeah, I, I, I'm very intrigued by the way in which they are pursuing this, uh, this case and their methods. Um, but that just is the thing about Edgar Ramirez is that he is so, he is just so magnetic that like, you know, I feel like Grace is a little unsettled by him. Um, and I, who can blame her? You know what I mean? So. Um, but I want to talk about someone else in this episode. <laughs> this is, um, someone else who has like a read on Jonathan. Cause like, I feel like this episode is really trying to, like, if you, if you went into this episode being like Grace convinced that Jonathan probably did it, by the end of this episode, you're supposed to be more uncertain about whether or not he did it, right? There are some interesting, compelling arguments that are made here that have less to do with like, oh, we think he's such a great guy and more to do with like, his ego like he mm-hmm. Jonathan makes the case that he, you know he has too much of an ego to do something like this um but the person who does the sort of outward assessment of Jonathan in this episode um is his temporary lawyer um played by an actor Douglas Hodge who's a British actor who I've seen in a number of like period piece dramas stuff like that he was in an episode of Black Mirror um he was in the night manager which um you know along with Noah Jupe like there's a couple night manager repeats uh, in this show um he is not as I already said American he is doing an accent that is maybe from the planet Mars. I don't know where it's from. It is wild. Um, it's a real ride. Um, yeah. The only thing I can compare it. it to recently, uh, I just reviewed a, a thriller starring Kevin Costner and Diane Lane called Let Him Go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that movie, Leslie Manville, the great Leslie Manville from Another yes. Year and Phantom Thread, um, she is playing the sort of menacing matriarch of of, of their the sort of rival family that's simplifying things in the movie and you know she's great in it high camp it's really fun but like the accent she travels from you know baton rouge to minneapolis within one sentence (laughs) you know and you're like where what is this so this Uh, lawyer is from like what queens by way of boston is that what we're hearing here yeah he would i think represent the (laughs) only 
Boston native with a Boston accent, which is a particular sort of socioeconomic demographic and everything like that, who decided to move to New York City and become a defense attorney. I just don't, I don't think that's ever happened before. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely wrong about that, but like, but it just, yeah, th there's a regional thing, which like, I don't know regional British dialects or, or accents. I mean, I, I've learned some watching like copious amounts of Love Island, but, um, so I don't blame it. It's just funny because you have Susanna Beer, a great director, but not a native, you know, not a, a an American. Yeah. And so, maybe to her and maybe to Kidman and Hugh Grant and whoever, they're like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> uh, and Meanwhile, Sutherland is like, oh no, he's Canadian even. Yeah. Is there yeah. an American in this cast? I don't nope. know. They're really, oh. I mean, well, Lily Rabe, I mean, that's like, you know. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Lily's like too polite to say anything. So she's yeah. just like, this is fine. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So, so this, this temporary lawyer, uh, uh, yeah, it seems like he will, he will not be sticking around. We don't know, but he's called the Badger. Um, I like the characterization of this. And there is a moment in this episode that it, we've been talking a lot about the ways in which, um, you know, th this show reminds us of Big Little Lies, but mm -hmm. this episode kind of hit me, um, like it, it kind of reminded me of The Night of. Um, another sort of great HBO crime series. And I, I don't know if that was just like the communal sleeping arrangements in the prison or what, but like, did, did any of the sort of lawyer, um, you know, guy going into the prison system, obviously in a completely different socioeconomic uh, strata than uh, the character in the night of, but like, did, did any of it hit you that way? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and I think that, for as devastating and interesting as it was, I thought that that was kind of the weakest part of the night of, because I think, I think it's really hard to depict prison life in a way that's, you know, that's anything less than really serious. You know, I, I mean, Orange is the New Black did it, but that's a rare exception. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a thriller and a mystery. And it's, I, I think that this rich, you know, British guy going to Rikers Island or wherever he ends up. I, I think that it's way too easy to lean into cliche, um, which the night, the night of did less of, and this one does a bit more of. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I hope we don't spend a ton of time with Jonathan in prison because I thought that this episode actually did kind of slow. Uh, so it, it, it got slower when, um, when we were dealing with that stuff, even though there was this scene of kind of suggestive violence, you know, which is like maybe Jonathan has this kind of as, Donald Sutherland's character says this monster inside of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I find I found the because there's there's a couple of really um, lengthy Donald Sutherland, Nicole Kidman scenes that are, you know, uh, firming up this father daughter relationship. And I found those really beautiful. The chess scene um, where he's not just playing chess with her. I believe I think he's also playing a game on his iPad at the same time. So, um, that's just like, that's just the biggest flex I've ever seen. Um, but, um, not since Jed Bartlett played two games in two different rooms on the West Wing. Um, but, um, but yeah, and, and, and Sutherland as Franklin makes this really interesting choice. This like this really emotional crying scene, which is just not sort of what you would expect from, you know, he, he seems to have more money than God in this series. And he's played by Donald Sutherland who, you know, can be warm and also can be incredibly imperious and cold, um, as he wasn't like, you know, uh, the hunger games, something like that. Um, and so you wouldn't necessarily expect this degree of emotion for him. And I kind of liked 
mm-hmm. that it was so melodramatic um and it just really showed um the 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 tight bond between father and daughter here um yeah i i think that was an interesting bit of direction and performance you know the mm-hmm. the, the tearfulness and and i think it's reflected in 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 uh, jonathan crying at, in the prison uh and being really you know we were talking last week about seeing uh hugh grant in this new kind of way uh this serious fraught you know emotionally yeah. racked way um and it's startling it's startling to see the cool old you know patrician patriarch in Donald Sutherland cry. And it's also startling to see this suave, handsome, charming doctor in prison or in jail, um, pleading for something. Um, I have a theory about what that pleading scene actually was about. Um, but I don't know if we're at the point of the episode for my crackpot no. theories. Hit, hit me with your crackpot theory. I feel like the opening of the episode with Henry, you know, kind of sadly, trying to like resume some sort of normalcy by practicing the violin. Yeah. And then Jonathan really insisting, I need to see, uh, I need to see Henry. I need to see my son. Like he needs to know all this kind of stuff. And then uh, Henry being so obsessed with watching all the coverage on his iPad and the television mm-hmm. and everything. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if despite even what happened at the end of the episode, if Jonathan is covering for his son. And I mean, that, I'll tell yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you this much. Uh, I got when I saw that like Noah Jupe was in this role, you know, like, and I said this <laughs> to, to like multiple people that I talked to. I was like, when I saw Noah Jupe was in this role, I was like, that kid can do a lot. Like, is this is this another um, sharp objects? Right, like another like child murder situation i don't have an answer for you honestly i don't know i don't know the answer to like what what this show is doing with this murder um but i will i will tell you that i shared your suspicions um yeah and it's a good theory you know and i also think that but 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 the show is 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 cleverly setting up a bunch of potential i mean why why is donald sutherland in this role and yes he had this one emotional scene but why but he's giving him money and like what what's there's there could be a whole narrative there i also think that the charged look across the courtroom with between jonathan and lily (gasps) rabe's character uh see and and why is she so involved i mean yes she's friends with the family especially with grace but like it's also but she's also kind of you know she's one of these bitchy kind of gossipy mothers from the school like so i don't know and she was having this other kind of this this like these legal consultations with jonathan well prior to any of this like Uh so i think they're setting up like all these possibilities and then at the end of the episode it's like ha but here's some video evidence maybe (laughs) suggesting otherwise right maybe it was grace in like a fugue state or something i don't know maybe she's an unreliable narrator it's a lot of questions um something i will say about lily ray uh, i cut this out of last week's uh interview um but i asked her because she exchanges look with jonathan but she also exchanges i think multiple looks with the prosecutor who she said that she interned uh you know that they clerked together or something like that um and I asked her if, if like we were supposed to read into that. And then Lily Rabe uh, was like, you're a very observant viewer. And I can't tell if she's blowing smoke or uh, if that is significant, but that's something that I noticed. So 
Yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm I I really am like I've seen more episodes than you, but I also am in like speculation territory and a lot of this sort of stuff. So I just wanted to log that as something that like I noticed that Lily Rabe seemed to appreciate that I noticed, but I don't know what it means because I have a lot of questions about that. I'm like, um, because like what would that bear out if she knew the prosecutor? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I don't I don't know, but um, just um, about. Can I go off on a sort of tangent um, of that's related, related to these theories? So yeah. at the end of the episode, we see this video footage and Grace says, I, I was walking. I don't know where I was, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they're recently, I believe it uh, is streaming on Peacock in mm. the United States. Um, there is a British sort of detective-y spies, not spies, but sort of espionage thriller called The Capture. Uh, that is all about deep fakes and oh. deep fake surveillance footage to frame someone for a crime, essentially. Um, I've maybe spoiled too much of that show already, but it aired in the UK like two years ago. So whatever. Um, but uh, anyway, it's it's good. Holly DeGranger's great. You should also see her in a movie called Animals. I think she's one of the more undersung actors of her generation. But um, I, I think I don't know how deep this show, The Undoing, is going to get in like political stuff or technology stuff i i'm I, it might just be more crimes of passion kind of thing mm-hmm. um but they did i think open a window into it becoming a sort of tech tech thriller uh if something about that video isn't real fascinating i mean it, it is very eerie um like the whole reveal of it you know what I mean? And like, she has this telltale coat, right? That like, um, which is a lesser work of Edgar Allan Poe, if you haven't read it, but like that, um, you know, it just like <laughs> makes her look very spooky on, on the surveillance footage. So, um, and, uh, but yeah. that said, we also have seen her, especially last week, yeah, having her. these sort of like weird fugue states where she's like seeing the dead woman everywhere and like having these kind of mm. flash, like imagined flashbacks that she can't, get her you know her mind off of like so like maybe there is something unbalanced about her mental state um i mean i couldn't blame her but uh yeah so i I don't know i think this is a fun episode because it's right in the middle of the series and it's uh it's setting up a lot of different directions the show could go down and honestly i'd be happy to follow it down most of them let me uh move now to the other new character that we meet in this episode um Haley Fitzgerald played by Noma Dumaswini and like please let me hope that I did not butcher that a beautiful name but um Noma is like a is a really well-known stage actress and she was probably best known for um playing uh Hermione grown up Hermione in the uh cursed child mm-hmm. um that they did uh on the West End and uh so and in know, New York I saw her do it in New York and in New York so um you know, she and she she was actually she was in um one episode of Normal People. She played the therapist, which is like the, the most one of the most uh, uh, that episode of, of Normal People. Uh, Normal People, a show that I loved so much. That episode just like emotionally devastated me. Um, and she's incredibly good in it. Uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled that she's here. Uh, and, uh, you know, what kind of early impression did she make on you? Richard? I mean, strong. And she was really good in Cursed Child. One of the, one of the better people, uh, in that I thought 
okay acted show. Mm-hmm. Um, God, seeing that, that just feels like a whole different planet. I mean, just yeah. th- that whole thing. Um, Remember theater? I yeah. Well, theater, but also Harry Potter love. <laughs> oh, J.K. Yeah, yeah. Rowling Un- fandom. Uncomplicated Harry Potter yeah. love, sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 what I really liked about her scene was the, the, you know, Grace is getting different kinds of honesty from these two different lawyers. Yeah. And in this scene, she is hearing basically the lever, like the, 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 the movement of money. Basically this woman is like, I'm a really expensive lawyer. I can't make, I can't make miracles happen for you. But what I can do is just jam up everything to the extent that, that like the truth is occluded. And like, maybe you can, something good can come out of that, you know, mm-hmm. which feels very, you know, familiar to what's happening. <laughs> right now with the election it's just like flood it with misinformation or whatever whatever <laughs> whatever muck which Distract. is what she uses yeah. um you know so i think that's like you know and i think also the compromise of like you know someone of grace's imagined assumed politics is like well of course public defenders public schools blah 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 but like but, but also private schools and really expensive attorneys who can do things that maybe a public defender can't do or doesn't have the resources to and you know um so the way that that kind of clarified the class dimensions of the situation that Grace has found herself in, I thought was pretty sharp. Yeah. And I mean, it's something to think about is um, the media circus that exists around this case, right. That's, that it's just mobbed that, that um, their son, Henry can like, you know, watch developments in the case on his iPad that the, the courtroom is mobbed and stuff like that. Um I can't recall if I've brought this up on the podcast already or not, but um, the, when I talked to Hugh Grant, and you will hear that interview eventually, I promise, he told me that he was like really astonished by the media circus and that 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 the media was allowed in courtrooms in America. He's like, we we don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh okay. I mean, like, what's what's funny is that I've read about Hugh court cases Hugh Grant is involved in in the UK. Like, there was that, you know, I think he um sued. Uh, was it the Sun? I can't remember. But like, you know, there was like the whole phone tapping thing. Like, he was involved in that. Mm-hmm. So I've read. I've definitely like read tab British tabloid stories about Hugh Grant on trial. But um, I guess perhaps they don't let the media inside the courtroom, which seems like a great idea. And I don't know why we don't do that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, this idea of like this is this is like a this is a massive new story case and we talked about that we talked about that a bit last week when you were like i'm not sure it would be and then you thought again and you're like oh i don't know like uh a, you know attractive rich professionals um sorted affair murder a secret child all this sort of stuff like yeah that is the stuff that tabloid stories are made of i suppose all right and then i guess most i suppose the last uh person i should mention before um, we go to that interview with um, Edgar is um, Ismail Cruz Cordova, who plays Fernando Alves, um, Elena's husband, who sort of like half stalks Grace in this episode a little bit, just a light stalking. Um, what did you make of, of his interest in her and, and all of that? I'm assuming that there's more to that, you know. And I kind of half expected him when he finally got her to talk to him 
mm-hmm. for him to say like I know the truth. Like we're both, you know, whatever. But he did say your your husband killed my wife. So like there's still that. Um but yeah, I don't really I don't really know where that's going to go. I mean, cuz it it it's set up a bit more complicatedly complexly than just, you know, embittered husband whose wife was cheating on him, you know, and was murdered. Um so I don't I don't really know what that dimension is. I mean, I think that the show was so um careful to introduce class dynamics into the first episode that uh you couldn't just forget about the husband and the the, the rest of the family um yeah. and, and and maybe that they, they will come to bear in a bigger way uh in the next three episodes but um yeah i can't really uh i'm my my my, my mind is still very trained on it was henry who did it but so I, I can't really uh listen to it or entertain too many other theories i like it's a strong theory man I'm with you. Um, no jupe. Don't never count him out. Um, all right. Well, should we go to our conversation with uh, Edgar Ramirez? Let's do it. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Please, my pleasure. I think you're fantastic uh, in the show. Thank you. And um, yeah, this is this is for one of our podcasts that we do. And actually, the first TV show that we covered for this podcast was the assassination of Johnny Versace. So this is oh, a really? nice full circle moment uh, for me. I, I wanted to start by asking you. Um, how different, you know, given that this, you know, that's a prestige television drama, this is a prestige television drama, how different was the process making this versus making um, Versace? Well, I think that it starts with, uh, I mean, basically with the fact that 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 the Versace was based on a on a, on a real on a real person and 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 also a notorious person. And that changed the whole the whole approach to the character. Um, Joe Mendoza, uh, although although the research, I mean, I, I did research him um, uh, with real NYPD uh, murder detectives in, in you know in, in New York City, and and, and 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 I was lucky enough to have the wonderful Michael Devine, the actor that plays O'Rourke, my partner in the in the show. He's a real police. Oh, detective. okay. So he's actually third generation uh, NYPD detectives, and um, and that was that was a, 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 a you know a, a lucky strike that that I had that I had him on my side, and that he was also uh, generous enough to to share all his knowledge and experience, and also open the doors to 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 to, to some uh, police precincts in in New York where I could where I had the opportunity to talk to real to real uh, detectives and actually run the case through them. You know, uh, as, yeah. as we were really investigating, we played we played that serious game of of 
guessing who who might have done it, you know, and what right. how would they react in real life to to a case like that with with people of influence involved and uh, and also the social class of the you know right. the, the social class issue the the social clash um, that is that is definitely uh, uh, a huge part of of the case and um, and uh, although although I surrounded the entire research with you know conversations with real people real conversations uh, um, doing hypotheses um, uh, for real. This is a fictional character, so so the the, the approach is different, you know. Uh, with with Versace, as I said before, not only was he real, he was he was famous, and he and people knew him, so there was a right. preconceived idea or perception of, of of who he was, also certain mannerisms and the way he spoke and and, and, and the accent. So it was a different approach um, in that in that regard. What about the um? What about having one director in Susanna work through this entire project versus someone directing different episodes for Versace? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I mean, clearly, I mean, coming from coming from from cinema and and having Carlos being my first television experience, this is the closest yeah. to that that I've, that right. I've lived. This is basically to me the undoing. The undoing is a six-hour-long movie, you know. Yeah, this whole, that's what- yeah. I think that that's what miniseries. It's just long format, but I, but, but, but to me, this is a long, this is a six hour long movie, the same way that Carlos was a five and a half hour long film. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact that, that the same director uh, directed both of them. So that makes it even like the, 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 the process of making it isn't, it isn't that different from, from, from doing a movie. Right. Um, we had all the episodes at our disposal uh, by the time uh, uh, I was shooting, so so I had the full picture of of, of where of where the the, the story was going, mm-hmm. um, and and in in, in 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 Versace we had different directors, but Ryan Murphy has has put together a group of people in some sort of a dynamic in place where honestly that was my main worry because I've never gone through that experience before to right. work with several directors on the same project that I hadn't done. Through. Right. And I remember that in my conversation with, with, with Ryan, I asked him if he was going to direct all the episodes. He said, no, 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 I, I will, I will, you know, I, I will die. I, I can't, you know, I can't possibly right. direct right. all of them. It's like nine or 13 episodes, depending on, on how long in the end we do the show, but I'm going to have my group of people that are going to direct. And that to me and to Penelope, there was a, there was a, a concern, not a worry, but a concern. It's like, how are we going to... But he's put together this dynamic and this group of people, amazing, talented group of people that you don't feel it. Like, you don't feel much of a difference, you know? I don't know, yeah. if, I don't know if that's something that he's be able to create because he always work, you know, with, with the same collaborators so they understand uh, each other and each other's obsessions. Uh, uh, but, um, but, in the, but, in this, but in this case, with Susanne, when I spoke to her, uh, for the first time, I was actually, it's funny, I was actually in Cuba starting to shoot um, my last collaboration with Olivia Sayas, the WASP Network, um, uh, invited me to be to be on this show and, 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 and Nicole, you know, um, and, um, and, 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 and yeah, I've, I've seen the night manager that she's also, that she also mm-hmm. directed and, and did all the episodes and I said, this is, this is just going to be a long, a long film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's right. Um, 
I'm curious uh, if your perception of, of your character of Joe, as you read him on the page, changed at all after you discussed it with Susanna, like if she had ideas or perceptions that changed your approach. Yeah, she has, she's got, she's got great instincts and she's a great collaborator. She has a very, very strong point of view, which is something that I love. She's very, there's no, there's no small talk with Susanna. She goes right to, she goes right to where the essence of, of, of things are. She goes right under the skin right away. And, 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 and I really loved it. Um, she, she knew exactly, she knew exactly the voices of all the characters and what, and what those voices needed either to say or withhold so um she was very she was very attentive to be to be able to be able to rein in whatever emotions this is a love story gone wrong about possession jealousy betrayal and of course the glue that binds all of these feelings is is love it's a love story that didn't go didn't go the way the people involved wanted it my character is somehow the objective i that comes into this world to try to put the pieces together to, 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 to resolve the puzzle of this, of this murder. But clearly love is the, is at the center of, of, of the story. And it's a very mature love. I mean, with all the, with all the darkness and all the, and all the limitations, the shortcomings and the, and the tragedy that a love story gone wrong can bring. And, uh, and, and of course, as a, as a, as a human being, you get moved by that. And, and, and even, and even as a, so, as, a, as a detective uh, investigating a case, and like I said, I talked about it with the, with, 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 as I said before, with real detectives, is that when you get involved in this, your emotions also get involved, but you cannot let them get involved. You cannot, you're dealing with very sensitive matter. You know, people that feel betrayed, um, people that, that could easily be placed in the, in the, in the role of a victim. And as, a, in a, in, and as an investigative detective, you cannot allow yourself to be moved by by those feelings so Susanna was very she was very sharp in identifying the moments where I was being moved by the drama and even by Nicole it's like don't let Nicole seduce you don't let Grace seduce you you gotta rein it in it's like you gotta pull it back and, and Susanna would come and say no you 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 need to doubt her and everyone else the whole time so it was beautiful to have that collaboration. You have Susanna as a safety net to be, be there and to be contained, to contain the emotions. Because I think that that's also something that, that the show does very well. That there's a lot of when your emotions, normally, usually, when your emotions as a performer are contained, the emotions of the audience run wild. That's the game. I don't play it for you. I, I, I hold the mirror and you look at yourself and you're the one that is going to run wild. So, so Susanna was very, was very, was very sharp, very, 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 very acute, very accurate in identifying that and hold it back, hold it back. And that was, that was really, really cool. So definitely we, we built this character together. And I think that that's the case for to other actors in, involved in the, in the show. She was, she was collaborating very, very intimately with each one of us. In, in building these characters. That mirror comment you just made uh, makes me doubt my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is um, what, <laughs> what energy do you feel like um, 
either you're trying to create or cropped up organically in your scenes with Nicole, because I do feel like there is this charged atmosphere that goes beyond the professional, but perhaps that is me, the audience sort of laying that over something um, that wasn't there. What do you think? I'm very, no, I'm very glad that you're bringing that, that you're bringing that up because that is, that is exactly, actually it was kind of like, it's funny, it's interesting because I was kind of like going around what you just said in my, in my last answer about, the reigning in of the feelings. There's, there's clearly a sexual tension between Grace and, and Joe Mendoza. There's, these, are, these are complicated, attractive, interesting people that come from different worlds. She has just encountered the reality behind the facade of where his, her life has been. So, of course, you start to think in those moments, what if I had chosen a different life? What if I had married a different person? What if I... And, and 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 as a it, and, and and I think that Joe feels that the vulnerability and he's moved by it, but that's not his job. I mean, be, being a professional and forces him to put all those feelings aside. But I'm glad that you felt the charge because it's something that is completely unspoken and and unrealized. I mean, it's not something like this tension would will stay just in the you know in the realm of of, of a fantasy because it's never going to be realized. But there's a tension, and that's what I love about this well-written um, uh, and well-directed um, uh, 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 adult dramas. And that's what attracted me to this project because it reminds me of the, of the great and complex adult dramas from the drama thrillers from the 80s and the 90s where complicated things happen to complicated people and where, and where, the, and, and where sensuality and the sexual energy not necessarily the sex, the sexual energy, because there's a difference, you know, when the sexual energies complicate things even more. And that, to me, was very interesting to, to play, because I grew up to those movies, you know. I grew up to those movies where, these, where this contra- all these contradictions were at play, you know. And, uh, and yes, you're a cop, and you're investigating somebody, and you get involved, and you want to get involved, but you can't. And these, and, 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 and these detectives, they, they, they suggested that to me. I mean, they, they told me that, Whenever rich people, that whenever attractive, interesting people are involved, you're still people. I mean, if you meet, you're just meeting under on the, you just meeting under under the worst of circumstances. But if you meet, maybe if you meet these people under different circumstances, then you can, then maybe your trajectory could take different turns. And that, and, and I kept that in mind all the time. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you that you felt that that charge because 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 it was there and, and and we and we wanted to milk that and keep it there so for you to complete the information for you to complete what what was going on there so i'm so accomplished happy yeah that. yeah Thank you. <laughs> all right my, my last question for you i think i have very little time so apologize for dropping this uh with so little time left but um, you mentioned a couple times the show, the social class clash yeah, yeah. and class difference between yeah. these characters. I think it's also interesting that you have this incredibly white family at the center and then is surrounded by these non-white characters who are sort of entering their world. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about um, the significance of that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's. I mean, that's what that's what great that's what great great storytelling does. You know that while what they're well, it's entertaining you, while it's uh, thrilling you, while it's keeping you on your toes, it's also touching a nerve of the zeitgeist. And I think that I think that, that 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 the show does not does not intend to 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 be political in any way. But that's what happens inevitably with good drama. 
you know, with good drama, with good story, when good storytelling is crafted in, in, in synchronicity with, 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 with its surroundings, you know, and, uh, and, and, and definitely also having a city like New York as a backdrop, you know, is make, I think that it heightens the metaphor because New York is a city where the rich and the poor and everyone in between are forced to interact together. I mean, you cannot hide. There are not hills to hide from the, the, the reality. There is no, you, you have to face it, you know, and, 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 for, and for as much as you try, you're exposed to people that are different from you. And, 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 and even the, 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 the subway is a great metaphor. It's a great equalizer, you know, that unites all these people. And, and, and the proximity is what defines the whole experience of the city. And this, and this story takes place in New York, where it's suddenly all these people coming from different social, social um, backgrounds and, and social, social economic backgrounds and different, different ethnicities and, 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 and races are all forced to interact and uh and 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 and, and i think that that's uh uh of course that is in that that is in tune with 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 the conversations that we've been having um lately about about equality about inclusion about representation about justice and and how uh i remember i remember speaking to 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 in my conversation with this detect, detective they would they would tell me if if there's if there's people of influence involved, this is going to hit the media and there will, there's going to be a public trial and that is going to have an effect on the exercise of justice because it's going to have an effect. Almost, it's almost like, like, like media is going to decide the verdict and then the, the, the judges and the jury are the ones who are going to catch up. Right. And, that, and that is fascinating. And, and, we, and we have a lot of that in the show as well. I mean, we have that reality of the exposure to the media. So, yes, there are a lot of, of, of different, uh, of different uh, ongoing, ongoing and important conversations that are colliding in the, in, in, in the show. And I think that that's great. I, 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 I lived through the same thing with, with Versace. You're telling a great story about great people with very interesting conflicts, but that at the same time, they, they, they touch a nerve. I mean, they, they, they're able to spark a conversation and, and, and when that happens in an organic way, that is great. That's what you, that, that's, I think that's what we all aspire to. Perfect. Thank you so much Thank you. for your time and for your work. I really appreciate it. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. All right. That is it for us this week. Unless there's anything else you want to chat about, Richard. Um, no, I mean, Noah Jupe did it 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your campaign slogan? Yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Stop so the until... jupe. Stop the jupe. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would hit that P really hard. Um, so uh, until next week, Richard, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm getting on an Amtrak to Philadelphia to really, you know, work with local legislature about just trying to nail no jupe to the wall for this. <laughs> the people uh... deserve. <laughs> their answers um sorry i have stupid election brain um i will be tweeting at rylaws writing reviews and such uh on vf.com joanna uh until our return to uh manhattan where will you be oh yeah no i will just be bent over my computer creating very convincing deep fakes of nicole kidman (laughs) wandering around various crime scenes throughout history 
Um, uh, or you can find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. We are a little election brain today, or at least I am. I don't know about Richard. I'm a little like fried. I got it. I will just be honest with you. Uh, so if, if I am not at all on the top of my game this week, uh, I hope you will understand and hopefully I will get back on top of my game, uh, next week when we talk about episode four of the Undoing. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake at The New Yorker, to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.